0: What
1: about this one for my nephew? A superb choice. Oh, great. Yeah, provided he has already read Infinite Crisis and 52 and is familiar with the re-establishment of the DC multiverse.
0: <laughs> Who am I? Cypher? The gayest X-Man? I recently read this novel called Watchmen. I've never read a comic book like this. I used to read Betty comics, but that's it. I've never read, like, real, real books. This worked my out. Excellent! Hello, hello, hello. This is Chris and Eric's Songbox Adventure. I'm Chris. And I am Eric. This week is week three of Spectacular Spider Month. It was your turn to pick something to read, so go ahead and take it away with the topic and the roll call, etc., etc.,
1: Alright, well, this month we... Well, uh, this week, we've read the Venom arc of Ultimate Spider-Man. Uh, which is Ultimate Spider-Man 33 through... What was it again? Is it 39 is the end?
0: Yeah, 39.
1: Yes, 39 is the entire issue that is basically a conversation between two people again. Uh, So this is written by by Michael Bendis with the Pencils by Mark Bagley, uh, Inks by Art Fiber, Transparency Digital on Colors, and Chris Eliopoulos on Letters.
0: Correct me if I'm wrong, this is only the second Ultimate book we've ever done after Ultimate X-Men last summer.
1: Yeah, which is funny considering how like huge the ultimate universe was to me specifically as a kid because of this book it's come up before it must have done at some point but ultimate spider-man is the book that got me into reading comics on a regular basis like i'd read the lee ditko spider-man stuff earlier at least and i'd read some single issues But then my parents decided to get me a monthly subscription to a Spider-Man book as a birthday present, I want to say. And they must have- goodness knows how they they managed this. They must have, like, gone to a comic shop or something and asked them, because, like, what Spider-Man series is good right now? And this comic shop person must have said Ultimate Spider-Man, because my parents don't fucking know what, like, Amazing Spider-Man versus Ultimate Spider-Man is. So I'm there with my uh, DK Spider-Man encyclopedia, you know, reading about 616 all the time, and, you know, having read, like, the old backish, early back issues in the Essentials volumes of about 616, and then I get delivered to my house in the mail, because they used to do this, issues of Ultimate Spider-Man, the Peter Parker of Earth 1610, an entirely different character which for i would say the first two months really pissed me off i was an ungrateful little shit about this mail order subscription and then pretty swiftly i turned around on ultimate spider-man um that those issues that i first got are um they were on the shortlist for this slot. I knew I was doing some of Ultimate Spider-Man. I didn't know whether it would be Peter or Miles, but it was probably going to be Peter because I'm I'm this version of Peter is like my Spider-Man. I have this real big bias towards him. I knew I wanted to talk about this, uh, but those issues were from the Ultimate Knights arc, uh, which is. A fun crime arc with uh, with Hammerhead Silvermane and Kingpin and Gene DeWolf and Moon Knight and Punisher and Daredevil and Iron Fist and Shang-Chi and Black Cat and like it's like a really busy bizarre like arc that's building on like several things that had already been done but also surprisingly easy to get into one of the things that makes ultimate spider-man i think work is each arc is kind of like a movie you know that all most all adaptations of classic spider-man stories in some way uh while bringing in new elements and obviously updating it for the then modern early 2000s and each one will advance the soap opera stuff. It's normally some relationship drama between Peter and Mary Jane, although sometimes there's other women involved. And each one will have a classic Spider-Man villain, with um one exception, uh, where they made up a guy. And like, then they'll do sequels to those arcs later on. Like whenever they bring a, a Kingpin back, Kingpin's like the most recurring villain in this series and so this is the sixth arc so in some ways this could be the sixth movie in a spider-man series but this is venom which thanks to the video game i guess this is kind of the signature ultimate spider-man arc at least anything with peter because this is the thing that got like the push for the video game even though venom only comes back once more in the comics because the Venom game, the game that they did for the PS2, is a sequel to this arc, and Venom was a playable character in that. This is the ultimate Peter Rock that's had the most impact, aside from, like, him dying?
0: Or full disclosure, I don't think I've ever read a full issue of... Peter Parker Ultimate Spider-Man before this I had read the initial Miles stuff but I don't remember ever actually successfully reading any of it before this so this is basically my first full impression like I had occasionally looked at the trades before but I don't think I'd ever actually read any of it
1: it It is a very strange series because thanks to, like, Miles existing, it's obviously crucial to, like, Marvel as a company and, like, the Spider-Man character sort of ongoing because now Miles will always be there. But, like, the longest consecutive run of issues by the same writer and artist on any title is Bendis and Bagley on Ultimate Spider-Man. But also, aside from the fact that eventually we got Miles out of it, none of this is relevant. This whole universe doesn't exist anymore. Like, especially since the new Ultimate Universe isn't even a return to this one, it's a new one. You know, the only two things that ever mattered from the old Ultimate Universe before are still the only two things that matter, even when the Ultimate Universe is back, which is Miles Morales and the Maker. No one cares about anything else. It's, like, it's it's a weird series when you think about it in terms of just, like, its place in Marvel history. This was the linchpin for this whole universe even existing. And it was, like, the sales juggernaut that, like, helped bring them back from the brink in the early 2000s. You know, none of these characters are are in anything anymore. Because everything that they wanted, that, you know, people really liked from these, almost all of it they've just taken, they've given it to the main characters like if you read iron man now he acts far more like ultimate iron man than he ever does act like that guy from those comics back in the 80s
0: there's a lot of things like this from that sort of general time period in marvel that are simultaneously like record-breaking and also now culturally irrelevant due to just like the difference in how long things were able and like allowed to run because unless i'm really misremembering something and i don't think i am the longest running female character-led book in marvel's history is still spider girl which was like this alternate continuity and does not matter at all to anything that's happening now so it's that sort of really significant and yet not directly impacting current books at all sort of thing
1: yeah I think it must be Spider girl because that managed over a hundred issues I've read all of Spider Girl um and yeah that was there was a lot of it and I can't imagine any other female character managing to have gotten that because they just didn't get books until these days and now everyone's like oh you're lucky if you make it to issue 12. actually. You're lucky if you make it to issue six now. Kelly Thompson's Captain Marvel made it to 50 issues, which for something that's not traditionally a flagship book is really impressive. It's like that and Immortal Hulk both closed out at like 50, which feels like, hey, you got to actually do everything you wanted to do with the book. Yeah, But nothing else gets that. Like, even really successful books. By issue 20, they're going to relaunch it into something else. I mean, look at, like, Immortal X-Men is ending on 18, or just ended on the issue 18. And, I mean, that was a hit, right? <laughs> but they have to blow up the status quo again. So, you know, goodbye book.
0: I guess, before we digress any fervor, should we return actually, to the actual book at hand?
1: Yeah, actually talk about Ultimate Spider-Man. All right. Uh, so I'm gonna quickly just run through the the basics of the plot so that we can just sort of, rather than us getting bogged down in some of the details, we have just sort of the overview of everything that happens. Uh, but basically, the comic opens after a pretty big breakup between Mary Jane and Peter. Uh, this version of Peter is a 15 year old sophomore in high school. Uh, he. Other than that, like it's very close to the classic Spider-Man setup. Uh, Lives with Aunt May. Um, They recently adopted Gwen Stacy uh, because her dad died in the previous arc and her mother literally didn't want her. So Aunt May has taken in Gwen Stacy and Gwen is now living in Peter's house, which is the first of the really significant changes from the original comics, in my opinion, is what they do with Gwen. I really love Ultimate Gwen. She's actually, if it weren't for Spider-Gwen, she's my favorite Gwen. Easily. Uh, After Peter uh, has a temper tantrum about his breakup, and uh, throws some stuff around, he discovers a uh, room in the basement that he hadn't seen before, which is filled with boxes and boxes of his parents' things he watches an old video of the now almost entirely dead Parker and, as we find out, Brock families having a picnic together. Uh, So his parents, well, his dad, at the very least, was a scientist, and his science partner, uh, Edward Brock Sr., worked together, and both families were very close, and Peter frequently played with edward brock's son eddie brock jr who is about four years older than him i would say at least four after uh he and Aunt may watch the video together she tells him a bit more about like you know the brock family because it's it was long the like Peter's parents died long enough ago that he can barely remember them. Like, this uh, this video is clearly from, like, less than a year before they died, and he's, like, six. Uh, so she tells him about Eddie Brock and explains that his parents died in the same plane as Peter's and says that he should find him and give him a copy of the video, so Peter calls him up. As he's calling him up, the panel pans over to some of Peter's dad's old sign stuff, including the Venom project. In the next issue... uh, Yes, that was an issue. <laughs> Unless I mistake, that was an issue, right? I don't have the issue breaks, but that's, that's where it broke, isn't it?
0: Yeah, it just breaks it. The ominous shot of, like, the tube of black goo.
1: Oh, sorry, so there's one more scene. Yes, he goes and he meets up with Eddie. Eddie is... I think clearly a jackass, but, like, in a way that Peter isn't noticing. Um, Eddie is also into science, he also, you know, like Peter, has been inspired by his father to go into science, but he's got a very cynical outlook on the whole thing, which Peter doesn't have. Uh, when Peter talks about his current difficulties with his girlfriend, Eddie dismisses it as just being, like, high school shit, basically. And at the end, he shows him a like the last remnants of his and his dad's big science project, which is an attempt to cure cancer, uh, which is this big vial of black goo. And basically, the idea was that this black goo, the suit, would attach itself to someone, figure out what's wrong with them, and find ways of solving it using the body's own natural chemicals. It's a bunch of gobbledygook, but basically it means that if you get the suit on you, it's supposed to physically enhance you as part of the process of curing cancer. And the stage where they had sort of gotten this sample of it too before they died was specifically the physical enhancement. You know, Eddie has a lot more details about what happened because he's like read through his parents' notes And so basically, uh, Peter's dad and Eddie's dad had been bought out by Trask Industries uh, given, like, work-for-hire contracts. And so the company, when they realized that they could maybe make super soldiers, which is a whole Ultimate Universe thing where everyone wants to make super soldiers, when they realized the suit could maybe be a way of making super soldiers, they took the whole project away from their parents in order to, like, you know, military applications for it. Peter also finds out that since the suit was DNA specific, like anyone who was getting cured, would, it a suit would be genetically engineered for them specifically. And so the suit that they were making at home to like prove their ownership of it was made using Peter's dad's DNA. A shockingly vital part of this story. The next day, Eddie shows up to give Peter a ride home from school in his flashy car, Peter is, you know, at this point hanging out with his basically foster sister Gwen Stacy so Gwen gets to meet Eddie uh, unfortunately for her and for context for this upcoming bit Peter's experience at Spider-Man so far has been almost entirely rich jackasses who use science to make everything worse like he's fought Norman Osborn who is a rich jackass who uses science to make things bad Kingpin, who is a rich jackass who hired other people to use science to make things bad. Otto Octavius, who was hired by rich jackasses to do science that makes things bad. And then Norman Osborn again. And then one guy who was wearing a Spider-Man outfit. But like his immediate response to even hearing about billionaire science company is... Probably up to no good to the degree where they're murdering people. So he questions whether or not, like, his parents were... Like, he and Eddie questioned whether or not their parents were maybe actually just murdered by Trask. Like, they shot the plane down or something. It didn't go down in a storm. Eddie had not thought of this, but, like, it's pretty clear that Peter's kind of decided that's what must have happened. Uh, meanwhile... Eddie and Gwen decide they're going to go to a, like, concert on campus together. Uh, Peter bows out because he's got, like, work at the Daily Bugle, where he uh, is a web designer for them in this version. But uh, Eddie is just fine just going with Gwen, who is the same age as Peter, by the way, to be clear. She is also 15. Eddie is at least four years older. He is 19 at the youngest. Peter's going through more of his dad's stuff, and he finds a tape of his dad talking about how he feels about the Trask buyout, which sets Peter off. And while Gwen and Eddie are enjoying their concert, Peter goes to try and take some of the suit to do his own like work on it in his basement, only he's too reckless. Some of it gets on him, grows, covers him, and out he pops in the black suit Spider-Man. The next issue is Peter adventuring around in the black suit. Uh, it turns out that when he gets shot, it just fixes itself. The suit makes its own webbing. And to quote him, uh, when he's wearing the suit, it feels like his father is with him. Uh, he's able to easily, you know, take out, like, a couple cri- big crimes that are happening. Uh, when a man is like robbed a store and shot someone there he follows this guy down a dark alleyway and he's sort of hiding out in an abandoned building and peter starts flashing back to the night uncle ben died and even though this guy is not the guy who shot uncle ben for some reason he feels like he is and then he venoms out peter's had the suit on it's it's been like maybe five hours and he is now snarly, toothy monster, big tongue, trying to kill this guy. He's able to stop himself from murdering him, and escapes the suit freaking out all over him, and him losing control over it, until he very luckily manages to get lightly electrocuted by some like streetwise, which vaporizes the suit. Uh, the version of the suit in this is not weak to vibrations or sound, it's like just electricity and heat like the best way to get rid of this version of the suit is to electrocute it meanwhile after the party Gwen has come back to Eddie's like dorm room to hang out but Eddie clearly wants to actually just like fuck her Gwen has like at some point made it clear that like she's got a lot going on at the moment to Eddie like he knows that her dad recently died he also knows that she's a 15 year old sophomore in high school But he is instead pissed at her for leading him on, calls her a tease, and she leaves pissed off for obvious reasons. That's when Eddie turns on the television and sees Spider-Man wearing what is pretty clearly the suit swinging around. He goes to see what, like, happened when he comes across Peter trying to take the rest of the suit because his plan is to vaporize it, destroy what's left. Uh, He tells Eddie basically everything that happened, tells him that he's Spider-Man, and he lies to Eddie and tells him that Eddie is the only other person who knows that he's Spider-Man. Because this version of Mary Jane has known basically since day one. So Eddie, you know, accepts that Peter's got to destroy the suit, believes him and his story about, like, how dangerous it is to wear this thing. While Peter disposes of the suit, he goes back home, changes into some regular clothes because he'd been like wearing stuff he'd fished out of a dumpster or whatever. Gwen tells him what happened with Eddie and stresses to him that Eddie is a bad person and that Peter really shouldn't be hanging out with him anymore. And So we cut back and we find out that Eddie had simply lied to Peter as well and that they have a second like sample of the suit but they keep, you know, separately for scientific experiments. They have a control suit. So Eddie goes back, pulls that out, and then just sticks his finger in the entire damn vial. Peter, feeling upset and guilty about his actions while he was wearing the black suit, goes to have a conversation with Mary Jane, like, at night in their garage, where he apologizes for his carelessness um, and, like his like, that he didn't notice all the things going on with her, because, like, Basically, she broke up with him due to, honestly, quite a lot of mental distress, she'd nearly been killed, and then also he simply wasn't aware of her, like, abusive dad, and, like, just the vast number of issues that Mary Jane's constantly dealing with. This version of the character isn't as, like, openly flighty and, like, carefree fun as the one in the classic comics, but she's got the same sort of backstory. With this really difficult home life that she masks and pretends isn't bothering her when it is. And so while Peter apologizes, you know, it's very clear that Mary Jane is simply too scared at this point of what being Spider Man's girlfriend would fucking mean to ever get back with him. And he, you know, he accepts that even though it clearly makes him sad and he leaves. Meanwhile, Eddie eats the janitor uh, and is barely able to survive wearing the suit. It's needing to, like, consume him to live. He's immediately venomed out. At class the next day, you know, it's dark and rainy outside, and Peter's spider sense starts going off in, like, sort of an alarm bell kind of way. And he looks outside and sees what he assumes is just a symbiote, but obviously it's Eddie. Eddie is... Talking, like, kind of nonsense, basically, but like it's pretty clear that there is still, like, Eddie still has a hand on the wheel here. This isn't just the suit that he's fighting. Peter and Eddie fight. Peter is in his civilian outfit, doesn't have his web shooters in that, like a massive disadvantage. But he is able to basically get lucky. Venom winds up getting uh, electrocuted by some like wires that were loose during the fight while getting shot at by the police. Immediately vanishes into thin air. No, goes home and and just like feels like absolute shit. He thinks he got his friend killed. So later he uh, tracks down Nick Fury who is basically the Samuel Jackson one from the MCU because this is what Nick Fury just is now, is the Ultimate Universe version. Nick and Peter had already met, um, during which Nick heavily implied that because Peter is an unnatural and illegal genetic mutation, when he turns 18, he is going to become state property. Which Peter took to mean going to prison, but as we find out, Nick actually meant joining the Ultimates, which is the like Avengers, except they all work for the Bush administration. However, despite this, Nick is actually able to help reassure Peter about, like, sometimes shit happens. This guy A, probably isn't dead because you didn't find a body. B, like you definitely helped people. No one else got hurt during that fight. They even commiserate over having similarly dead parents. Peter follows up with Eddie, but finds out from Eddie's roommate that he's disappeared and from Kirk Connors that Every last bit of information on the suit that Eddie's dad had left behind has been taken from the school servers and that there's no way really to follow up with this. And so Peter ends the book standing on the rooftops of ESU trying to figure out whether or not Eddie's even alive again. His spider sense goes off, but he's not like able to see
0: anyone. And That's it. The end. Yep. And all of that is accomplished in a single story arc written by Brian Michael Bendis, which is quite a lot for those circumstances.
1: I would say that most of Ultimate Spider-Man is paced this way. I mean, like you say that, but also like there's a whole issue that's dedicated just to the aftermath of this story. Like, all the stuff with Nick Fury, the roommate, all of that, you know, it, it, it's a whole issue that is a conversation with Nick Fury, a two-page conversation with Eddie's roommate, and a conversation with Kurt Connors. You know, and I think they're all very good and well-written, like, Kurt Connors pointing out that, like, Peter's parents, or Peter's dad specifically, and his research is sort of the precursor to all the problems that Peter's dealt with since he became Spider-Man, you know, the Norman Osborns of the world, as well as everything happening sort of in the wider Ultimate Universe at this point, which, like, Ultimates had started. And all of those people are also, like, side effects of genetic mutations that are being done in labs. Like, the whole Ultimate Universe is born out of the, like, I guess, worries about stem cell research from the early 2000s. You know, everyone is genetic engineering rather than radiation like it is in the classic material um and like everyone's tied back to attempts to recreate captain america it's it's an interesting sort of like looking back at the marvel universe with hindsight kind of thing where they're like oh yes logically captain america would have an effect on the world and what is that everyone wants another captain america but yes that was Venom. Um, I apologized uh, heading into this for how heterosexual this version of Eddie Brock is.
0: I didn't mention that he's a predator. You mentioned it at some point in the past when we talked about it. Yeah, yeah. I knew what I was getting into. That's... So the key for me to this book
1: is... To, well, to this this story arc is the, like, Peter-Eddie dynamic. They both um share the same essential tragedy like ignoring the spider-man shit they both lost their parents at a young age and the way that they have spiraled from that a says a lot about them but b says a lot about the way they were raised afterwards like peter got lucky he had aunt may and he had uncle ben and eddie mentions a grandfather at some point But it's clear it was a much more distant relationship than what like peter has with aunt may and uncle ben and so like peter does have temper issues peter does have a resentment towards the world but it's very clear in this story the way that he's the one who naturally assumes that their parents were murdered but eddie is the one whose cynicism has gotten to him in a way that peter's just hasn't peter's a good person who tries to do good things Who makes mistakes. And Eddie's not a good person. Very fundamentally. He is a walking ball of resentment. You know. His roommate even talks about how he resents. When he tries to get with women. And they turn him down. He resents. His parents. Like not getting noticed. As the geniuses that they were. Or his dad specifically. Again this is all about the death. The mom does the mums don't come up very often, to be honest, which is a bit of a shame.
0: It's the sort of sins of the father thrust upon the son, very male lineage focus, yeah.
1: Yeah, it is. The um the original Spider-Man, it turns out that his parents were like both spies. And that's where they went. They both died facing off against the Russian version of the Red Skull from like the 50s Captain America comics. Whereas, in this case, Peter's parents died in a plane crash, which, as it turns out, in the video game, was not actually caused by Trask Industries. The twist in the video game is they reveal that uh, Eddie's dad had brought a sample of the suit onto the plane to take with them. Or they had a sample of the suit anyway, but it got on Eddie's dad. And, like, he venomed out, and that's what caused the plane to crash. Um, And then that video game got loosely adapted into an arc of the comics much later, uh, which was actually at that point drawn by Stuart Immerman, which, like, has the same reveal in it. That arc's really weird, because it it's... The video game is set at a much earlier point in the continuity than the like that arc is so it has like a lot of weird flashbacks inserting some of the stuff from the video game back when it was set when it was in the video game but then like the video game you know at that point the PS2 wasn't a thing anymore and you couldn't be expected to play the game to know what have happened in the comic. Um as much as I I love that video game, I think maybe having it be canon to the comics was a weird mistake. (laughs)
0: The crazy idea, yeah, like, I can't think of a single other example of a video game of, like, a big two property being tried to be slotted into canon like that.
1: Yeah, it was written by Bendis, and then they got Bagley to do all the character designs for it, and they, like, the the style of the game, it's all cel-shaded, and everything's made to look as much like Bagley's art as possible, which has meant that out of all PS2 games, this one has the graphics that have maybe aged the best because it mostly just looks like an early 2000s Marvel comic drawn by Mark Bagley, which, in my opinion, is not a bad thing at all. Uh, Getting the art discussion out the way, what do you think? Because I love it.
0: I guess I'll say I like it. We're doing two weeks in a row of Bagley between the front half of Lethal Protector, and then this. So we're looking at Bagley Warwick, roughly a decade apart. Like I mentioned earlier, I never really gravitated toward Ultimate Spider-Man before, had never read it, and I'm going to try and be as neutral with my wording here as possible because I worry that this could come across more negative than i mean it to but i think just like seeing the trades etc for years the art never jumped out at me when i just flipped through it and that's not even me saying that i thought it was ugly necessarily because i didn't but just stylistically It didn't, like, immediately jump out to me as, you know, just something especially in my tastes, but having to read an arc of it for the show, you know, and actually engaging with it, I was glad to find a lot of aspects of it I think are very well done, and... You know, like I wasn't expecting to outright dislike the art, but I may have liked it more than I necessarily thought I was going to, going in anyway, because I sort of, you know, had more time reading it, more material to see its strengths. Like, I think facial expressions are particularly good here, with regards, especially to. Non-action scenes, you know, out of suit, just Peter Parker and other characters just sort of hanging out and talking. I think that there are a lot of very good, just like shifts in the faces. I think we get some nice sort of nuanced expressions here that help enhance... Peter's character and I think really help with the characterization and making me feel invested in the emotional aspects of the story that way I think that the overall like visual storytelling of just like the pacing and the clarity I think is all very well done there are some specific pages throughout that especially jump out at me Probably my favorite page in the entire arc we talked about or that we're talking about rather, I would say is issue 36, page eight, where we get a nine panel grid as Peter Parker has like returned to the lab And Eddie Brock walks in on him and other than one panel with only three wards in it, it's entirely silent and it's essentially conveying Eddie Brock figuring out that Peter is Spider-Man just in silence by showing us all of the different details of the room and from different angles and perspectives Like, we get the two looking at each other. We get Eddie Brock looking up toward the ceiling at the open skylight panel. And then, like, the footprints from Peter descending, you know, freakishly Spidey-style down the wall. It's just, it is literally, we literally culminate on a dramatic shot of Brock looking at Peter's feet. You know, which makes it sound really silly, but it's just really effectively done, you know, like conveying the realization in a really effective way. I think there's generally good inking throughout these, good use of shadow for a dramatic effect. Yeah, all in all, I think the art is pretty strong here. Stylistically, it's one of those things where it's just like, you know, everyone just has aesthetic preferences. And I guess sometimes it's harder to explain, like, oh, why does this thing that's really good work for me more or less than something else that is also, craft-wise, really good? You know, this isn't necessarily a style that really hits home for me, but I still recognize a lot of just really effective choices being made. Does that make sense?
1: That makes perfect sense. Uh, I was nodding that whole time. Like, no one who did Ultimate Spider-Man has managed to better handle Bendis's entire page of talking heads like tendencies than Mark Bagley. Um, like the one, like you know, a lot of it. Yeah, you can maybe just not like his style enough, and like I'd say the one other critique I'd ever have of him as an artist is he's got like ten faces in his back pocket, maybe, which can be noticeable when color, especially if colorists make some decisions. Like there's a girl on um a school bus at one point, and I think the school bus is supposed to be filled with like really young kids. It's hard to tell, but one of them looks exactly like Mary Jane and she's sort of in the middle of the page and you're just like, wait, is that meant to be Mary Jane? And it isn't, to be clear. But, like, it looks like that for a second. But, the... Yeah, the the way that the comic is laid out, the way that he is able to make the way that Bendis paces an issue work, and yeah, the the visual storytelling there, like... If you're going to spend a page on Eddie Brock realizing that Peter is Spider-Man and that is the only thing that happens on that page, that's a really great page to do. it. I mean, to be honest, there's like basically three pages spent doing that, but they're all really good pages. And yeah, Uh, I also really love the way the symbiote is drawn in this. Um, Bagley aims pretty squarely at horror with it. It's very biological, it's very gooey, it's very tendrally. Um, I really love when it's in Venom mode that, like, you've got the mouth with all the teeth around it, but then you'll also get teeth everywhere else. Like, its tendrils will get teeth. You know, it, it has teeth coming out of its soldier, shoulders. Sometimes the mouth is just, like, round. Like, there's not even a jaw in there. There's no structure to it. It is just goop with teeth coming out and sometimes a tongue. Um, there's this great bit, like, Eddie revealing himself as the guy who's in the suit. The Venom face sort of slides apart to reveal his face. But, like, the mouth just moves downwards. So he's got a mouth, like, where his neck should be. And then he's got his regular human mouth coming out the top the the focus on, like, how weird the suit is, there's a lot of panels where, especially, like, both when Peter and Eddie first get into the suit, where we will see their hand or some part of their body covered by the suit, and then the suit sort of shifting and changing form in a way that makes it clear, but, like, that hand isn't there anymore. Like, when Peter first gets in the suit, and is fully encased with it. There's a shot of his hand with some suit goop all over it. And then the next shot, like, is the same shape, but the fingers are gone. And the whole thing's turned into these round little circles as the suit's reforming. And the implication that Peter's body under there is just kind of gone. It's become one with this goo. Is quietly horrifying in a way I really like. Um. obviously, you know, this is very different from a lot of, like, classic Venom material. I mean, this version of Eddie has a soul patch. He's horrible. But I really I... like this visualization of the character.
0: Yeah, I think it really works with what they're trying to do with him. In terms of, like, the symbiote art itself, it's sort of, you know, just reiterating what I already said earlier where it's like, Is it my favorite stylistic rendition? No. Is it effective? Yes. I think for me personally, my main thing is just that I don't especially care for the symbiote being purple, you know? Oh,
1: really? I love that.
0: Yeah. Just a personal preference thing, you know, not even like a con to it. With regards to all of the teeth this sort of ties back into a bit conceptually of what they're doing here too because you know a large part of the ultimate books was okay we're gonna run through and we're gonna do about a trade paperback wharf about each greatest hits and we're just going to keep rolling with the hits, you know, like, Oh, all of the characters that were introduced across 40 years, we're going to roll through all of them in a couple of years, you know, because part of the fun, ideally anyway, of the line was what does the ultimate version of so-and-so look like, you know? Yeah. And, hence we get venom in like year two of the title but part of the difficulty of venom then being okay how do you adapt the alien costume that gets introduced in a line-wide crossover the answer being that we don't do that and We do everything that you already talked about in the plot synopsis of tying him into thematically and character history wise, everything going on with Peter's dad and the ongoing themes of like corporate greed and science and of human, I guess, just like arrogance, you know, and striving for things perhaps beyond humanity and like the questioning of the wisdom or lack thereof and that sort of action. But anyway, to get more back to my original point, the idea of the goo is specifically being part of cancer experiments and cures for cancer, for me, is interesting in light of... The importance of the teeth to the venomous aesthetic. You know, not just the obvious main iconic, like, big gaping maw of the head itself. But specifically the way that we see here and there teeth just emerging in other parts of the body. You know, like, as the goo is swiveling around and just seeming very elastic and explosive. We'll see like teeth where they wouldn't generally be on a standard human body, you know, like erupting from the shoulders, etc. Things like that, which, you know, I don't know how deeply they thought about this or not when drawing it. conceptualizing it but my mind just sort of puts two and two together between like the cancer cure element and like you know real life teeth in the wrong place horror of like the fact that sometimes there will be like teeth growth in tumors you know sort of ties in visually to that venom being related to cancer research idea and the whole symbiotes thing of the horror of a human body sort of not behaving as it's supposed to or not being structured as it's supposed to you know just like the horror of like naturally arising harmful mutation i guess like the body doing something wrong in and of itself does that make any sense
1: that makes perfect sense yeah and yeah i would agree i think that they're playing with that here the 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 symbiote also like needing to feed on people like it's It's not made 100% clear in this, but I feel like it's already fairly obvious. The reason that it was able to sit on Peter fairly comfortably for a while, but on anyone else, like when it touches Eddie, it goes like Venom symbiote immediately and starts eating him, is because Peter's like related to his dad. Because this version of the suit was made for Peter's father. And when Eddie takes that on, it's even more, like, unhealthy and bad for him to be wearing it. The, the consumption of the human form there, it, it, like, the suit is a disease as well. Like, they've tried to make a cure, but they've just made another
0: disease. There's specifically one panel I want to shout out. In issue 38, page 15, as we see The symbiote worn by Eddie sort of trying to also take over Peter and sort of like pull the both of them into itself. And in the bottom left corner, we get this panel of fingers, presumably by context, Peter's fingers specifically, his fingertips being the only part of him not yet fully submersed into the black goo. And the specific arrangement that Bagley has chosen, it's sort of like a palm up, fingers poking up. To be clear, you can't see the palm, just like that's the way, based on, you know, the way the fingers are oriented. But just like the tops of the fingers sticking out in a half circle shape that to me is again bringing back that image of teeth because they're specifically like in the shape of the bottom of someone's jaw. So it's this like submersion of his hand that is still echoing the tooth horror even when there are no teeth on panel. There's just a lot of very good details here. (laughs) Yeah. um, I
1: really love that bit as well, where uh, he's just being consumed again. And like the, the idea that this suit actually needs Peter, it's, it's because like, this isn't like in the comics where the suit is actually sentient. Like this suit is, it's got like at best an animal level intelligence and sort of centering all of this on like an out of control eddie who's in constant pain constantly being consumed by this thing and what it needs is this person who he hates because like peter has lied to him about the one thing that i think was actually important to eddie brock It works really well. It's a bit of a shame that this version of Eddie just doesn't come back very often. Um, Bendis is a noted Venom hater. He did not want to do Venom initially, and the only way he could think of of approaching it wound up being like, okay, I need to get rid of basically everything that makes Venom, except for sort of the general look of Venom. Um, He does the same thing that Sam Raimi did in the Spider-Man 3, when Sam Raimi also didn't want to do Venom, which is, what if Eddie Brock was a shittier version of Peter Parker? But um, I think a lot more successfully than that movie managed.
0: It's an interesting reframing of the character and the relationships within, yeah. Like, I think it works in its context, you know? Like, do I personally prefer mainline version of Venom where you get to have all the themes and everything that arise from the symbiote being more sentient so that Venom as a character sort of is a culmination of two in a more pronounced way. Yes, but I do still think this You know, I think this works effectively. I think it's still interesting. We get some of the inner monologue from Peter when he, like, first sees the symbiote out again after he thought that everything was over, where he's, like, sort of wondering about its capacity, you know, its mental capacity, when he's wondering just, like, what sort of capacity for memory does it have, what was the suit itself versus what did it sort of gain by its time imprinted on him, you know? It makes sense to hear that Bendis was not infused about the character and had to really go in a different direction with a lot of the specific details to make a version that he would like more or care about writing, you know? And I think this sort of thing, when done well, as I think it is here, is sort of an example of the potential strengths of the ultimate books of, you know, reinventing the old characters. Like, if it's going to be a whole new shebang, then why just copy and paste what already exists, you know? So make sense to do something quite different while still trying to hold on to what aspects of the visuals or the character feel most important or most interesting.
1: It's also, I would say, a result of the different priorities. Like, when the original Venom was created, it was kind of, oh, here's a cool thing we can do with that suit, that alien suit from a few years ago. And then he was a hit, and so pretty much immediately, 6.6 Venom has been his own thing. You know, he's had his own solo books and has had for years. Whereas this version of Venom, I don't think they ever even... That's not the point of this version of Venom. This point of this version of Venom is to be a character in Spider-Man's book. And so, everything that can be is reoriented around Peter, including the idea that he and Eddie knew each other when they were younger it makes that relationship and the dissolution of it much more impactful i mean there's very few scenes of peter and eddie together and they're not really played as especially positive interactions but to both of them the childhood relationship back when their parents were alive is automatically really important to them and you see this repeated throughout adaptations of Venom now, like, you know, not to spoil the Spider-Man 2 game, but Harry Osborn is Venom in that, and the reason Harry Osborn is Venom in that is because they've already established him as Peter Parker's childhood friend, and there's no point in introducing a second one if you've already got one kicking around. Uh, The Spectacular Spider-Man show directly adapted the Eddie-Peter relationship from this, where they were childhood friends and their parents both died in the same plane crash, but then kept the alien origin of the suit. Like, weirdly, the thing from this that has lasted is everyone who's adapting Venom, they do the alien because they want to be accurate to what most Venom fans want. But whenever they're doing it as part of a Spider-Man story, so excluding the Venom films they immediately go, oh, well, obviously Peter and Eddie, or Peter and whoever's going to wear the Venom suit, should be childhood friends, who used to know each other, and like, we need to watch their friendship dissolve, rather than Eddie just sort of turning up. Eddie'd never been in a book before he was Venom. He's sort of retconned in as a side figure of the Death of of Gene DeWolf, but like, she's not He's not in that book. He's not in that story. His backstory is just related to it.
0: Yeah, it's sort of just like trying to weave him in in a way that feels more important in terms of just like establishing a stronger connection between the characters that when you're doing a adaptation is sort of easier to do than and mainline continuity when it's just like suddenly he has to be important after not existing for 30 years
1: but yeah i um the idea of taking eddie brock and saying okay so the monstrous version of spider-man is a guy who is basically peter parker but with every personal problem of peter's like turned up to 11 so like this version of peter has a temper he has that resentment of the world i talked about and then eddie is just like so much further along than all those things. You know, Peter's got that, like, horny teenager thing where he just, like, can't figure out what to do around women, but then this version of Eddie, A, has that sort of toxic masculinity resentment of women, and B, is actually a predator who goes after girls who are much younger than him. You know, it it it's... He probably... This isn't made clear, but I, I would say this version of Eddie is also probably in signs for the wrong reasons. Like, a lot of his dialogue when he's on the suit, when it's something that he's saying that makes sense, is about how his father was a genius who created this. You know, yeah. there's there's a lot of, like, he thinks his dad should have been praised for what he did. He presumably thinks that he should be praised for what he's planning on doing with the suit. He's not in science to improve other people's lives. And it's implied that he kind of gets it from his dad, like his dad um, in the sort of flashback video that we see at the beginning of the story is actively trying to like convince Peter's dad that they need a publicist to help them like get funding if they hire someone to, you know, get them on talk shows to talk about the suit. Yeah, I just really love this arc. It's, it's, possibly my favorite from this book but there's a few others certainly anytime the kingpin shows up i think is also really great so and then um also ultimate norman osborne is the best version of that character the most consistently written oh uh, what did you think of peter only wearing the suit for one issue because that's really unusual i think that was supposed if i remember correctly that was like controversial at the time everyone expected like a black suit arc at the very least, and then Bendis for once in his life is like, no, this is a single-issue thing.
0: Yeah, that sort of gets at what my main thing that I wanted to still talk about, too, was in terms of just relating to the pacing. I think most of this book is very well-paced. All in all, I think it's effectively done. I think it's especially effective in The way that the last issue we read is sort of just like a cool down period, you know, after the main action. I think that's very well done. With regards to the early aspects, though, and Peter being in the suit. Yeah, it's like it doesn't necessarily feel so rushed that it's like a huge problem. But it does feel like it's over really quickly in such a way that sort of makes me wonder if just a little bit more time could have more effectively sold all the ideas with regards to how the suit was affecting Peter and or possibly inverse of that relationship. You know, because there's hardly any time for things to be going wrong before he's just like, okay, things have gone wrong. I need to get rid of it. Like, everything with the whole visions of the guy killing Uncle Ben, I do think that aspect of it is a bit quick and hurried for my taste, which does also feel to me sort of grounded in the very much written for the trade sort of feel of a bunch of just, like, arcs of this time, you know? Like, it sort of feels to me like, oh, are we just doing all of Venom in one trade, you know? And we don't want to split it over two, even if one of them is just peter in the suit without really diving into brock or any of that you know like to me it was a bit a bit hurried but also it's all so good that like by the end of it i don't even really care enough to complain does that make any sense like i can't even call it a major con because so much is just so well done but it feels yeah. like splitting hairs
1: um, I think it's just sort of interesting in that to be honest this time in the suit is a bit more like the original comics version and like everyone who's ever done the suit since the 90s cartoon made it so that the suit made Peter a worse person when he had it on which isn't a original like part of the story in the comics in the comics he likes the suit and it's fine Until he realizes it's alive and it's been, like, driving him around in his sleep, and then he gets rid of it. And then the cartoon makes it about enhancing Peter's, like, flaws and increasing his aggression and stuff like that. In this, it's sort of a weird mixture of both in that he pretty much acts like he normally does when he's in the suit, except he's a bit high on himself um you know he's not stopping to think about like any possible effect the suit could be having on him he's just enjoying the abilities that he's got now like the healing the way he's proof to shock his vibration blasts and so on and the way i read the sequence where he's like hallucinating that the guy who like the guy who isn't the guy who killed uncle ben but he's hallucinating that he is that guy is it's more like a biological effect like the suit isn't making peter a bad person by enhancing aggression it is pumping drugs into his system he's just hallucinating and then because his hallucinations make him freak out and feel angry it triggers the suits like need to consume is the way i read this bit like peter's not doing any of this in a way that like most adaptations of the black suit he is at least to some degree like I mean the obvious example in terms of the big adaptations is like in Spider-Man 3 he throws that pumpkin bomb back at Harry's face and disfigures Harry with it like possibly kills he he had no way of knowing that Harry would survive that whereas this isn't a choice that Peter's making that's being exacerbated by the suit this is the suit taking control which is much closer weirdly to the original comics but then done in a way that vibes in the way that it's enhancing peter's aggression i like it i do think it's maybe a bit brief i the the one thing is as i have read more spider-man stories i like when the black suit arc gets to be a long arc where you see him wearing the suit for a while and you see the way it affects him Whereas this, it's... Peter has this one really bad trip.
0: Yeah. I think it's... Just sort of, like, one of those examples of... You know, when a story or a villain, etc. Like, becomes beloved. And then any time it's sort of... Revisited or adapted... People want to shift the mythology around a little bit in such ways to just like polish it with what's become known in hindsight and to just sort of, you know, add to it in more effective ways that are possible or rather, I guess, weren't possible in the original because people weren't thinking about it in terms of just like, yeah, like, the actual original black suit and no one thinking about venom during secret wars that sort of thing like i think the temptation to want to elongate that storyline certainly makes sense to me
1: yeah it's it's again i i really love this arc um if i were to make a spider-man movie it would be this that i would adapt (laughs) You know, in that weird, bizarre world where I get to tell Kevin Feige what to do, Kevin Feige, have Tom Holland do this, please. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's that's just about everything we've already sort of talked about. How, like, obviously, there's that conversation with Doctor Connors at the end, which ties. Venom very directly into the sort of, at this point, larger Ultimate Universe and everything happening in all the books, you know. Like, in the Ultimate Universe, it's not part of the story at this point, but, like, even the mutants are the result of attempts to recreate Captain America. I'm not sure how that works with Apocalypse and shit, but, like, I know that's what they wound up doing. I can't remember the Apocalypse arcs. doesn't
0: matter. As the newbie to this one I don't want to say that I liked it more than I expected because I think I was trying to just keep an open mind and go in without expectation as much as I could but you know as someone who had never cared to read Ultimate Spider-Man before you made me read this I enjoyed it I think that for me personally this is the best story that we've read for spider month thus far i would agree i think this is the peak of spider month
1: this series overall like all of ultimate spider-man certainly the bendis bagley stuff is shockingly consistent there's a couple legendarily bad arcs but other than like the ones where you look at it and you're just like what the fuck were you thinking um it's all like nearly as good as this like, I think the initial arc with the origin is, like, a bit slow, but I think that, like... Because, like, it takes to, like, issue four for Uncle Ben to die. Might be issue five. Um, I do think that pays off in the long run, because having Uncle Ben get the chance to be an actual character before he dies sort of gives you a lot of information about Peter's life before Spider-Man in a way that you don't get in the original comics. And I think that does really help with the overall arc of the story. But yeah, like the first volume is a bit slow paced. And then like, I don't like volume seven, which is the arc right after the Venom arc, which is a crossover with uh, the X-Men. And um, actually, no, whenever Spider-Man meets the X-Men in the Ultimate Universe, it's bad news. But other than that, I'd say this series is like really consistent and always like pretty close to this. My childhood attachment to this series is such that when Bagley left the book and was replaced by Stuart Immerman, I was disappointed and hated it. I've come around since, obviously, both on like that chunk of the Ultimate Spider-Man comics and also on like Immerman's art, but I was so disappointed that this book had changed at all because it was always just so consistent, you know what I mean? Like the same... I don't think there's not been nothing since this where you would get one artist and one writer on a book for any even nearly as long as this, and I miss when this could happen.
0: Yeah, I can't think of a single thing in the American comic industry since that. Yeah, I had a duo well last that long. Not even I mean, any is... like indie books this is
1: the record breaker but just like even generally like last a while like we've talked about some runs that have lasted 50 issues you know fairly recently like kelly thompson's captain marvel immortal hulk stuff like that i guess immortal hulk comes close that's not an unbroken run with joe bennett but like it is still mostly joe bennett in hindsight it's deeply unfortunate that it's joe bennett but um you know, that's, like, maybe the closest thing where, like, the writer and the artist are continuous contributors to a whole story, to a whole, like, run of comics. It's lengthy in any way. In Big 2, specifically, is what I'm talking about. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think that's everything I had to say. Uh, read Ultimate Spider-Man, people. The Peter stuff and the Miles stuff. Miles stuff is good, too. I feel kind of bad that there isn't a... Miles' pick for Spectacular Spider-Man because I deeply love Miles, but um, I I didn't want to repeat Bendis' picks. We were already repeating Bagley, or, and I needed to pick this. I've been promising you that we would read this for a long time.
0: Yeah, like, we talked about this back in the single-digit episodes, so it's been a long time coming. God,
1: yeah. Yeah, that was really early on.
0: Are you ready for your reading assignment for next week? Yes. So, after two weeks of goo, we are keeping the goo train running, and we are going to be reading about everyone's other favorite symbiotes by reading the miniseries Carnage, Black, White, and Blood. Which I know is a character that you do not care for at all. <laughs> I was about
1: to say I am a noted Carnage hater. Um <laughs> uh no, my first experience with Carnage was the Ultimate Universe version, um, who is literally there isn't even a person in it like that symbiote is just the symbiote that's running around by itself that's how my little bendis cared for that character but he fully dismissed even the concept of cletus cassidy <laughs> and then i've read ninety spider-man and i largely agree with bendis but um i will i will go into carnage but this is different i know the format of this book So I already know that it's different. I'm not having to sit down and read Maximum Carnage. This isn't going to be a nine-issue crossover where the main villain spends the whole time shouting about how everything is meaningless, which means we should kill people. This is going to be pretty much automatically better than that because it's not going to be a nine-issue 90s Spider-Man crossover.
0: I like Carnage, and I think this book should be fruitful to talking about him because... It's just an anthology book, so you get to sort of see the character and aesthetic in different contexts by different people. So, hopefully, at least a few of the stories will be ones you like. I love him visually. Yeah,
1: that's that's my big carnage positive. I think he looks great. I I um I really enjoy, I'm really looking forward to looking at this comic. <laughs>
0: But in the meantime, that was Venom. Go read Ultimate Spider Man Venom. Go stream Venom, parentheses, music from the motion picture by Eminem on Spotify or Apple Music or whatever you use. And until Carnage next week, bye. Bye, everyone. Excellent to each other.